All right, let's open our Bibles to um, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. I'll probably do this every time we start. I do have to lay some groundwork before we can get through chapters um, 6 and 7, before we can actually dive into those chapters. But let's go to the key to the book of Revelation. And if you would put the um, diagram up on the screen at this time, I'll read. Again, the year is 96 AD. John has been exiled to the island of Patmos, where the Lord appears to him and tells him to write seven letters to seven churches. And um, in verse 19, we're told to write the things which you have seen, and that would have been chapter 1, the Lord appearing to him. Then write the things which are, which would have been, in John's time, present tense, the church age. And then write the things which will take place after this. And um, we're going to keep referring to this phrase, after this, metatonta, in the Greek. And we have here the key to the book. So as you're looking up at the chart, you have chapter 1, the things that you've seen. And then the church age, that's chapters 2 and 3. And these are the seven letters to the seven different churches. Uh, All of them would be in modern-day Turkey today. All of them would be within 80 miles of each other. So as we look at chapters 2 and 3, seven promises, and I'm not going to spend any more time on that because we have a lot to go through this evening. So once we get to chapter 4, verse 1, we have that, that term again, after these things, metatonta, and that's after the things of the church age. So as our diagram shows us, chapter 4 and 5, after the church period of time, we have the rapture of the church taking place. I believe this is a rapture verse. John hears a trumpet, he's called up, and... Um, we find that the church in chapter 4 and 5 is, we find this group of people and they're singing in verse 9, a song, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain. You've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. It's a picture of the church. Only the church can be redeemed out of, out of every tribe, tongue, and nation. This was one of the promises that they would be made kings and priests during the kingdom age. But before the kingdom age can come, the Lord is going to now deal with all the evil that has been done against God's people over the ages. And we have a whole new section, 4 and 5 being one section by itself. And then we have, beginning in chapter 6, verse 1, the beginning of what we call the tribulation. Now, I can't even read verse 1 without telling you that um, there's at least 11 different names for the tribulation. And Isaiah is called the day of the Lord. It's also called the day of God's vengeance. Jeremiah calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. This is important because a lot of confusion of 
people sing the church um, somewhere after chapter 5 in the tribulation. And uh, the terminology that's used here, not only in Jeremiah, but it's the time of Jacob's trouble. It's not the time of the church's trouble. It's the time of Israel's trouble. Uh, Daniel calls it um, the 70th week. Daniel 12, the time of the end. Uh, The great day of his wrath. Verse 17 will be the last verse we'll look at tonight. The hour of his judgment. The end of this world um, is called the indignation in uh, Isaiah 26. It's called the overspreading of abomination in Daniel chapter 9. And uh, Daniel 12 calls it the time of trouble such has never been. Uh, Jesus called it um, an hour that has uh, never been nor will ever be again. So it has many different names to it. Uh, but again, there's confusion with people, uh, the church being in this particular area. And uh, people have written volumes of books debating um, the church being a part of this period of time. So before we even get into verse 1 here, we, I want you to turn back with me to the book of Revelation and lay a little go- groundwork. When people take a different viewpoint, they always fail to deal with Daniel chapter 9, which is very, very important. We'll be in Daniel chapter 9, of course, on eventually on Sunday morning. But <clears throat> Daniel 9, uh, picking it up in verse 24, the background here is he is in Babylon, That's what Jeremiah and Ezekiel are all about. These two prophets said they would be in captivity for 70 years. Daniel was 17 when he went to Babylon. He's been there now the full duration of the 70 years. And verse 1 of uh, Daniel 9, or verse 2 said, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. So, time's up, and it's time to go home. And he prays in verse 3 through 19, excuse me, was allergies again. Maybe they'll be gone by the end of June, hopefully. But it's a very sincere prayer of repentance, and it escalates as, as he's praying. It intensifies to the point in verse 19 where he says, Oh, Lord, hear, O oh Lord, forgive, O oh Lord, listen and act and don't delay uh, for your people's sake, my God, and for your city. So what we have in view here <clears throat> is a prayer of repentance for the Jewish people, but also uh, for the city of Jerusalem. In the middle of his prayer, we find that Gabriel appears to him. And the first thing he does before he gives him information about what he wants to know, and again, what's more important, especially when we're studying prophecy, that um, it's not to have a lot of head knowledge, um, but here it's because we want to be with the Lord so much. Though not seeing him, we love him, is the way Peter put it. 
that we should want to know these things because it means us seeing him again. First Corinthians 13, now we see through a, a glass darkly, um, but then face to face. So the reason we study prophetic books is because of the glorious hope, I want to see my Lord. I want to see the one who took my place. Um, and so that's in Daniel's heart. Gabriel tells him that he in verse 23 is greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Verse 24 tells us that 70 weeks or 77s or 490 years are determined. And you got to catch this first. Um, those who put the church in this period of time, you can't dance around this, these verses. The one week that God owes Israel's yet future. But the 490 years are for your people, that's Israel, and for the city of Jerusalem. This is foundational. To finish this transgression, he's going to make an end of sin. To make reconciliation for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness, that hasn't happened yet. To seal up vision and prophecy, that still hasn't happened completely yet. And to anoint the most holy. Some has been fulfilled, some has not. Um, Then he gives us 69 weeks, or 483 years, and the Messiah would come. That happened to the day on uh, April 6, 32 AD. We call it Palm Sunday. Um, It tells us in verse uh, 26 that the Messiah is going to be executed, karat, cut off, but not for himself. That's what Jesus, he came. He came into his own. He says, I have power to lay my life down, and I have power to raise it up again. No, nobody takes my life. And, um, and the people of the prince who is to come. Now, this is an important verse also, because the, uh, that will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Well, that was the Romans under Titus. And that happened, Jesus prophesied of this in Luke 19. That happened in 70 AD, exactly like the Lord said it would. And uh, it identifies the prince, the people of the prince who is to come, is a, f- a future reference to the Antichrist. And he'll be mentioned again down in verse 27. But the Romans were the ones that destroyed um, the city of Jerusalem. In 70 AD, it has not been inhabited again, and it hasn't been a nation again until May of 1948. Uh, They just celebrated their 50th jubilee from the Six-Day War in June of 1967. Fifty years ago, that happened last week. Major event. I don't think it was a coincidence that Trump went to Saudi Arabia first, then he went to Jerusalem, um, uh, then on to Rome to meet with the Pope. Three major religions of the world. Now... um, It goes on to say, and the end shall be with a flood, and there will be wars and desolations. Now, verse 27 is the book of Revelation. It says, then, he, he goes back to the prince in verse 26. He will make a covenant with many for one week. The covenant is with Israel. That's what they're trying to do right now. Saudi Arabia is sending hints. They want to somehow work it out with Israel. And that plays into Ezekiel 
37 and 38. So he's going to make a peace treaty, but in the middle of the week, he will bring an end to the sacrifice and offering. This tells us a lot. It means that he's going to allow Israel to rebuild the temple and that um, he's going to break his covenant with Israel exactly 1,260 days in, three and a half years. And it's called um, the abomination that makes desolate. Jesus specifically refers to it in Matthew 24. And he tells the, uh, the Jewish people what to do when they see the abomination of desolation. Uh, One third of them will make it to Petra. Now, here's the key point that I want to, before we begin. The seven years, or Daniel's 70th week is one of the terminologies for the tribulation, is all Jewish. It is for your people and your holy city. And this simply is, is crystal clear as far as who this period of time is making reference to. So if you hold of a position that the church is going to be in any part of the seven-year period of time, you've, you've just violated what the scriptures clearly lay down here. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be Christians during the first three and a half years. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 11 before we begin. In Revelation chapter 11... We're introduced to two witnesses. I believe them to be Moses and Elijah. And what's important here to lay out is a duration of time that they're allowed to have their ministry. So we read here in verse 3, I will give power to my two witnesses. They will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. That's what John the Baptist had. He was clothed in sackcloth or camel hair. And, but what I, what I want to point out is that they're Jewish, Elijah and Moses, and they have their ministry during the first three and a half years. Now what's going, to, I believe, is going to trigger world chaos on a scale that I can't even begin to um, um, lay out. Um, turn to Matthew 24. We have to go there, too, before we can dive in to uh, our study tonight. Matthew 24. So, immediately after the rapture of the church, and there's no way that this preacher can put, put the reaction that it's going to have on the entire world. Um, Matthew chapter 24. Um, the Lord gave signs to look for. Um, he says, Many Christ will come in my name, verse 5, saying, I am Christ, will deceive many. That's the Antichrist. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And this is important. There's going to be famines, pestilence, and earthquake. A big event in chapter 6 is going to be an earthquake of uh, such major capacity. is much greater than a 10 and higher because it, it affects <clears throat> even the islands 
um, at the world at this time. So imagine um, the world opening to anybody that could help bring some sort of order to what happened to millions of people that just disappeared. Um, I'm a Trekkie. I've been watching Star Trek my whole life. (laughs) I watch it now to remember when I wasn't completely, let's just say straight. (laughs) The things I forgot, I I watch it again because I forgot what happened in the the 60s. So now I, I go back to see what I missed. Here, earthquakes and famines are a big part of Revelation chapter 6. But it's not to be confused with um, um, other earthquakes that are going to happen during the Great Tribulation period. It's a seven-year period of time. Jesus himself calls it in 21, then there will be Great Tribulation. Jesus promised the Church of Philadelphia that they would not go through the Tribulation because they were faithful to the word of God, and they were faithful um, the Lord. He said, I will keep you from that time of testing that will test the entire world. So um, the first three and a half years, there will be Christians. How? Well, what do you think Moses and Elijah are going to be doing for the first three and a half years? Back in Revelation 11, it says they have power to do harm, and they can do it whenever they want to, at their own free will. In chapter 7, tonight we're going to read that the uh, four angels are going to stop the wind from blowing for this duration of time, for three and a half years. And um, verse 6 says they have power to shut up heavens, So no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. How long is their prophecy for? Three and a half years. So for the first three and a half years, what do you have? You have mass um, removal of over a billion people. I don't know how many people, what that number, fullness of the Gentiles is, but let's say somewhere over a billion. And uh, we have these two witnesses. Well, Well, they're called witnesses. What do you think they're doing? They're witnessing. When they appeared in Matthew 17 to Peter, James, and John, and the Lord, um, they had bodies, and they recognized them. They knew instinctively who they were. What's your point, Dwight? Again, they're Jews who are witnessing to uh, primarily Jews, and it's going to be the greatest revival that the world has ever known. So are there Christians during the Great Tribulation, yes. Many of them, just flip over to chapter 12 and look at um, verse, um, the Christians in the Tribulation that get saved, it says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. So they were willing not to take the mark of the beast, They were willing to die. So yes, there's Christians, but they're Christians who get saved. Now, what I'm about to say, some of the people I respect most as Bible teachers, I disagree with them that they hold to a position that if you hear the gospel now and reject it, that you can't get saved after the rapture. It's too late for you. 
I don't take that position. I believe as long as you're alive, I believe people that you've been praying for right now, um, they're going to say it was all true. And um, the the reality of wake, can you imagine waking up the next morning having heard the gospel, having heard Bible studies on the rapture of the church, and then it actually happens and you're left behind? And it's unthinkable what what you're going to go through. The debate is, just so that you know there's a a debate out there, there are those that teach, because they rejected the gospel before the rapture, that they won't allow it to be saved, that they'll be deceived by the lie, and um, I don't believe that. I believe that there are people today um, who would be serving the Lord if they weren't so caught up in their business or their job or whatever. Uh, We'll deal with that on, on Sunday morning. Well, I think I've made the point before we dive in that the church is taken to heaven before Revelation 6, verse 1 happens. If you take any other position, this is what you're doing. You're, you're eliminating what we call the imminent return of Jesus. That means it could happen tonight, and boy, do I wish it would. You know, No more allergies. Praise the Lord. <laughs> and... Yet, having, having said that, um, I do believe there will be those who know all too well what happened. They've heard, they've heard it their whole life, maybe. And um, an event like that will shake them up so much that I believe that the Lord is willing that none should perish, that all would come to repentance. All right, I think I've laid the groundwork, but I had to, because... Um, um, we are at, at Calvary Chapels, our pre-trib. Pre-trib means that uh, we are taken out before the, the um, first seal is opened up. We have to have seven full years not that, that pertain only to Israel. So when the peace treaty is signed, tick, 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 the, the clock begins to move, and there are seven years that God owes Israel, and that is yet future. And boy, I better get started. <laughs> All right, so in the first seal that's open, we find that Jesus is the one who takes the book in chapter 5 out of the Father's hands, and uh, he took the scroll, and um, it has seven seals Let's read the first one. Chapter 6, verse 1. Now, when I saw the Lord open one of the seals, I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out to conquer and to conquering. This is a reference to Daniel nine twenty-seven. He comes out of the revived Roman Empire. He is a from the people of the prince who is to come. So he has to be um, not a Muslim or Islamic antichrist. He has to be a European antichrist. I personally believe he's coming out of Brussels or Germany, possibly. Um, and I looked and behold the white horse and he who sat on him had a bow and it was given to him and he went out to conquer and to conquer. 
he's going to come up with a peace plan, yes, but to bring order to a world that's totally in chaos, there has to be um, someone to bring it all together, and he's the man. Uh, So the first, what we have in view here is a white horse, and I'm going to read all the way through to the fourth seal, and I'll, I'll come back and comment on it. But he goes out to conquer, and um, we find that the second seal, when the Lord opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see, and another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. The third seal, then he opened the third seal, and I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard the voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarii, and three quarts of barley for a denarii, but don't hurt the oil or the wine. And when he'd opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death, and Hades followed him. And power was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. We have a progression here. The progression is identical to what Jesus laid out when he said, what's it going to be like during the time of the end? So let me read it to you this way. I'm quoting again uh, Matthew 24, verses 5 through 8. The riding of the four horsemen follows exactly the pattern that the Lord Jesus gave while he was here on earth. Matthew 24, verse 5 through 8 in the Olivet Discourse, he said, For many will come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and he shall deceive many. This is a reference to one in particular, the rider on the white horse. He's going to come anti, doesn't necessarily mean against, but a counterfeit of. And so the writer, the, the, the first one that's mentioned is in Matthew 24, don't be deceived by false Christ. And then you will hear what does this false Christ do? Well, he goes out to conquer. Well, you don't conquer without making war. So there, the second thing Jesus said, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Well, that's the red horse. That's, that's the thing that follows the Antichrist coming on the scene is a red horse with war. What follows war? He says, see that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famine. That's the black horse. And, um, of course, when you're in a war, we're watching it live. You can watch it live on TV in Syria. Um, there was a retired, what was that in the news last night? There was a retired doctor, 74, and he was <clears throat> commenting as he was in a war zone in Syria. And he said, I've, 
I've seen tragedies my whole life, but I've never seen nothing like this. And he's, he was taking a piece of shrap metal out of a 13-year-old girl. And um, when you're in war, um, what that brings is people are starving because of uh, that's what follows war is, is famine. And um, so we have then the pale horse, um, which is a result. You have war. You have um, famine. And what follows famine but death. And that's the pale horse. And the, and the death part here. And when people say that there, um, there isn't things happening immediately, of uh, God's judgment upon this world. When you're talking one in the fourth seal, because of the, the first four horsemen, one quarter of the earth's population is gone. One quarter. Please let that set in. And you try, try to tell me that this isn't part of God's judgment. If you look down at verse 17, before we read the fifth and sixth seal, it says, for the great day of his wrath has come. So it's unfolded already and who is able to stand. So what we have in the first, some people say because it's on a white horse, they get it mixed up with Revelation 19 where Jesus returns on a white horse. It's not Christ. When Jesus returns on a white horse, there's permanent peace. This guy brings in uh, a series of events that leads to one quarter of Earth's population. Where are we at? Somewhere around 7 billion plus? Do the math. When one quarter is going to be destroyed, and again, you have to mix in the chaos that is going to permeate this planet when that many people disappear at one time. Now I want to do a reality check. With everybody. Jesus said it's going to be like in the days of Noah. And this Sunday, I think we called it a false sense of security, is a message for this Sunday. That's in Daniel chapter 5. As it was in the days of Noah, Noah was preaching that judgment was imminent, it was going to happen. What was the attitude of the people? A false sense of security. No, 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 everything's fine. Peace and safety. When the Lord comes, it's going to be your average day. When the second, when Jesus comes at the second coming, he says, unless I return, no flesh is going to be saved. That doesn't sound like everyday life to me. He has to intervene. He says, unless I intervene in world history at the second coming, no flesh would be saved. But the rapture is completely different, it's as it was in the days of Noah. There was, there was a minority of people saying, look, this is really going to happen. So to say to, to the average person who hasn't studied Bible prophecy, much less the Bible, do you know how ridiculous this sounds? That this is really foolishness. But Paul said he'll be a fool for Christ, I'll be a fool for Christ. I have no doubt that this is going to happen, absolutely no doubt, because all of the prophecies before have come true exactly through history as God said they would. That's what the book of Daniel is all about. Study world history. Who are the world powers? Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and then one in the future, 
that's being, the stage is being set for right now. And um, so as we look at the first four seals, we have God allowing this to take place. And um, it brings us to, um, I got Daniel 7 down here. Oh, Um, I I want want to, as often as I can, tie in the book of Daniel to the book of Revelation. If you're taking notes tonight, jot down Daniel 7. Um, The purpose of the writer is to conquer on conquest. This is the little horn or the willful king that uh, is talked about in Daniel chapter 7. It's also mentioned in Daniel chapter 11. It's a reference to the same person in uh, the first seal being open. Jesus said, I come in my Father's name and you receive me not. If a, another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. I believe he was making a reference to the Antichrist and his name is a big deal when you get to Revelation 13 and the number of his name. Um, they, they rejected the real Messiah, that's John 1.11. He came unto his own and his own received him not. But Jesus said, another's going to come in my name and hint, this guy you're going to actually receive. Many will be forced to make choices at this time. Among those unsaved after the rapture will be some who believe on the Lord because of the two witnesses. And also when we get into chapter 7, the 144,000, the rapture will be some who believe in the Lord after the rapture. Others will believe the lie. And I do believe it is a Hangar 51 type explanation that we were planted here and we've been watched and we had to intervene because you guys are ready to destroy yourself because of religion. And um, that's what I believe the lie is. I think we've been, I think Hollywood's been um, softening us up for that lie for many, many years. It could be something completely different, but um, I sort of lean that way. Um, I like to say that people who are putting it off, John tells us in John 3 that people don't want to come to the light because they like the darkness. People like the sin. And they don't like anybody telling them what they can or cannot do. Good place for an amen. We're self-driven, free-spirited people. And we don't like it when somebody is over us. And that's exactly why Jesus is called Lord. You can't be the boss anymore if you're a Christian, a born-again Christian. You can't call the shots. You have to acknowledge the Lord in some things, right? I just misquoted the Bible. Who, Who can correct me? Yeah, you have to acknowledge the Lord in everything. You got to get his permission. And let's be honest, people don't like that. Forget that. Some guy goes, I'm, a, I'm my own man. Nobody tells me what I can and can't do. Well, yeah, your Lord can. He's your creator. And he's only doing it for your good. If he tells you something, it's for your own good. Not a good place for an amen. But most of the world doesn't have that understanding. Most of the world hasn't heard the gospel. And they're not going to hear the entire gospel until an angel, after they kill the two witnesses in Revelation 
uh, what is it, 12, 13, 11, 12, 13. Um, the Lord always has a witness, so now he has an angel going around preaching the everlasting gospel to every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. That fulfills Matthew 24. It says the end will not come until the gospel has been preached to every tribe, tongue, and nation. We're not going to accomplish that. The church is not going to accomplish that. That angel accomplishes that. All right, verse 9. Now, when he had opened... When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar those of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed. So we have past tense um, believers being killed, and yet future, uh, a set number, just like there's, I believe there's a set number for the church, there's a set number of believers who are going to get saved during the tribulation period, and when that number is complete, um, it says their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they uh, that would that would be completed? Uh, there are volumes of books written on uh, the fifth seal. Who are those that are speaking here? I believe that uh, chapter six, and um, with the exception of interjection between the seals, there's information that's given. <clears throat> But I believe that this is in a chronological order. We have the seal judgments, we have the trumpet judgments, and we have the bull judgments. And they consecutively get more severe as time goes on. So what I believe here is during this um, period of time, we already have the two witnesses ministering the gospel very, very effectively. And, I mean, who better to pick to witness the Jewish people than Moses and Elijah? You know, that's why I'd pick. And they're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And anybody wants to take them out, they take them out. And so we have people um, being killed during this uh, period of time for the word of God. And then there's still yet the rest of the tribulation period, that seven-year period of time, where more and more pressure is going to be put on until finally when we get to Revelation 13, it's either or. Either you take the mark of the beast or you die. But there's sort of a false peace that's being played here. Remember the, the covenant, Daniel 9, verse 27, peace treaty covenant for seven years, but he breaks it. So at we got a lot of stuff going on here. We have Moses and Elijah, people accepting Christ. And um, the Antichrist's motive all along is going to be, he's going to be the one that's going to be worshipped. The sixth seal is, I looked and he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. Now, Jesus said there was, in Matthew 24, after, after, um, 
you know, the famines and death. And then he said there would be earthquakes in diverse places. Um, the amount of earthquakes has been intensifying. I, there's a whole Bible study right there that I don't have time to do, but that would be good for extra credit. Google it. Is there an increase in earthquakes and in their magnitude? Um, I mean, if, if Yellowstone ever blew, um, just the shockwave from that and the ash would kill everybody in Wisconsin. That's how far that would go. And so here is a great earthquake that's going to take place. And the sun became black as sackcloth. The hair and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its figs when it is shaken by the wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Chuck has always taken a position, and I agree with him here, and we're, we're going to see it. It happened in chapter um, uh, 8, a great mountain, verse 8, 8, a great mountain lake burning uh, was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died. So this probably happened once before. Um, Could have been the one that hit in Arizona. We don't know. But... We have mammoths, the woolly kind, <laughs> uh, quick frozen. That when they were discovered in ice, that their meat was still fresh, and the people who found it were actually eating the meat. It was a quick freeze. So probably what happened was a polar axis shift that caused the earth to just flip, and it was, you went from the equator to, to the North Pole, and that, those animals that were eating grass and were quick frozen, you can go online and Google that too. And um, um, we have all these animals that were just quickly, quickly frozen. And what I believe we have here with, the, with such... Uh, an intense strike on the earth. It could be the earthquake. It could be a polar axis shift. Or it could be one of these meteors that they're always talking about, the possibility of one hitting earth and the damage that would, would be done. And because it's so intense in, this, in these seals, even the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? So as we go through chapter 6, it is what we refer to as a seal judgments. And we only get to the sixth seal. Notice that we don't see the seventh seal open until you get to chapter 8. So just glance over to chapter 8, verse 1. And it says, when he opened the seventh seal. Well, what we have in the way here is chapter 7. So what's going on? What we have here is we see a pattern beginning as we go through the book of Revelation. 
we have a break between chapter 6 and 8, where the seventh seal isn't opened. The seventh seal is going to have its own break before we get to the sixth seal, and then there's going to be a break before the seventh seal is opened, which contains the seven bowl judgments. But here's where the pattern begins in chapter 7. Now, let me explain it to you this way. When you get to chapter 17 and 18, chapter 17 is about a one-world religion. Chapter 18 is, a, is the um, um, one-world economic system. And what it is is information that is given to previous chapters. So that's not chronological. It's already over at the end of chapter 16. The tribulation period is over by the time you get to chapter 16. And yet 17 and 18 are simply chapters that give us detailed information about the religious institution and where it is located in Rome. And then 18 is also further information. Now what we have in chapter 7 is sort of like that. It's going to go back and give us information about those who are under the altar waiting, but also the very first couple of verses tie into Revelation chapter 11. So let's just read verses um, 1 and 2. Now after these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four wings of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. All right, so remember Revelation 11. It said there's no rain for the length of the prophecy for the first three and a half years. That's exactly what chapter 7, verse 1 is saying. It stopped. And there's no wind blowing. What happens when the wind doesn't blow? Well, there's, there's no um, circulation of the storms and the currents, the evaporation from the ocean. Um, if there's no wind, it's not going to be brought on shore. So you have, for three and a half years, no, no rain. And if I'm um, a halfway intelligent person who doesn't know the Bible, I was... And somebody told me that, I'd say, you're totally crazy. Has that ever happened before? And I'd say, yeah, as a matter of fact, it has happened before. It happened for exactly three and a half years by the same guy who pronounced a judgment to King Ahab. Because they had gone into idolatry, and Elijah felt he was the only one. So he goes to Ahab, and he says, listen up, Ahab. It's not going to rain until I say so. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. And I love to give that study when we go to Mount Carmel. And, um, you know, they had the big shootout at the OK Corral there between the prophets of Baal and Elijah. And the challenge was, let the God, if you believe in Baal, fine. Uh, but if you believe it's Jehovah, let the real God send fire down from heaven. And, of course, prophets of Baal couldn't do anything. And Elijah says this simple prayer. Lord, would you show them who's God? <laughs> and they killed the 450 prophets of Baal. The creek is still there where they took them down to. 
You can see the Mediterranean from when we go up and stand on the building. You can see the Mediterranean where he saw the cloud forming and he says, time to go. But it was three and a half years. So it has happened before. So then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the sea or the trees till we have sealed the servants of God on their forehead. Now remember back in chapter 6, we have what's taking place here being done as a result of the Antichrist and wars, and famines. Here, God is going to begin to affect the earth itself. But before he does, he says, "Um, I heard the number of those who were sealed. There were 144,000 Jehovah Witnesses that were signed, sealed, and delivered. I love witnessing the Jehovah Witnesses and taking them here. I said, you guys believe the Bible? Yeah. Chapter, all of it, inspired by God? Yeah. And uh, you're the 144,000? Yeah. I says, well, when, then I'll have, them, I'll have them read this. And I said, it doesn't say Jehovah Witnesses. As a matter of fact, the Lord goes way out of his way to make sure you know that these are Jews. So um, we have, let's read them, the tribe of Judah, Reuben, Gad, 12,000 from each, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin. I'll point out without getting into it because I don't have a time to do an uh, in-depth, but I will mention that Dan and Ephraim are not in this list. And they were part of the 12 tribes. And what we have in place here is um, Joseph. Why is Dan not mentioned and why isn't Ephraim mentioned? These two are the ones that introduced idolatry to Israel. And God is holding them accountable. And uh, they are not going to be sealed during this period of time. They brought judgment into the land of Israel. They were the ones that set up the golden calves. And um, we have... In place of them, in um, chapter 7, we have the 144 represented. Uh, such a so long to get into it. When we finished Ezekiel, you'll have to remember this or go back and, and, and read it. When you get to the last couple chapters, from chapter 40 in the book of Ezekiel to 48, It's all about the kingdom age. And it gives great detail on how the temple is going to be built. But one of the chapters is the portion of land, and I think I put it up on the screen, that every tribe is going to get. And I go out of my way of saying, who's first on the list? Who can tell me? Who's first on the list that gets their land during the kingdom age? It's Dan, which is a picture of what? that it's a picture of God's grace. Uh, Ephraim has their portion, but they don't have their protection here. 
So from verses 3 through 9, they're not Jehovah Witnesses. They're not the children of God. They think they were the 144,000. They're Jews. And the tribes that are not mentioned are Dan and Ephraim. And it's because they're the ones responsible for bringing what I would call leaven. That leavened out and brought judgment eventually to the ten northern tribes. And even... Um, Judah and Benjamin during Hezekiah's time. All right, let's finish out our chapter. After these things, I look and behold a great multitude, which no one could number, of nations, tribes, people, and tongues stand before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. So they're before a throne. All right, with palm branches in their hand. Um... Let me point out that this is, can only be those that are saved during the tribulation because our home is the new Jerusalem. When I'm raptured, Jesus says, I have prepared a place for you, that where I am, you will be also. It's called the new Jerusalem. It doesn't have a, it doesn't, um, have a, a sanctuary there. Um, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders of the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. I like this because I like to say amen. This begins with an amen and ends with an amen. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now John is looking at this group of people. And then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where do they come from? And uh, John doesn't know. So he's, John's having this being revealed to him. He says, I don't know. Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation and they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Again, I quote Revelation chapter 12. These are tribulation saints. Now, some of the confusion that people have with the church being in the tribulation is that the fact that they're called saints. Um, Paul, in writing, says to the saints who are in where? Ephesus, or, the, or the, the, to the saints in, in Colossians or Ephesians. The church are called saints. Well, uh, they assume, therefore, that they're talking about Christians entering into this period of time. But there are tribulation saints. And um, they, they confuse that and say it's the church. No, they're Christians, yes. But there are those who got saved um, by the witness of the 144,000 and Moses and Elijah. And these are the ones that came out and they got saved during that period of time. Therefore, they're before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he sits on the throne, will dwell among them. And they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. 
Um, and going back to chapter 6 where it says the sun was darkened, well, when you get into the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments, it says that men on earth cursed God because they were scorched by the sun. So don't think that this verse here is the sun not being around anymore. No, the sun is actually going to be intensified. And I think our ozone layer is probably going to be, there's going to be a factor because of the it preventing the ultraviolet rays from getting through it. They simply won't be there. But they shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor their heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. What is chapter 7? Chapter 7 is simply detail between the opening of the sixth and the seventh seal. We have information given to us about this period of time, primarily 144 um, sealed Jews who are protected uh, during this uh, great period of time. And as I look at my time, it's time to say amen. 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 (laughs) Let's stand. We'll close in prayer. Lord, a lot to take in, especially if we're hearing this for the first time. And Lord, I pray for those that are taking this in for the first time. And as we see the importance of studying through the entire Bible, we need the background of Daniel to have an understanding that this this section, the seven-year period of time, is dealing with the people of Israel and the city of Jerusalem in particular. Lord, we know that the seven-year period of time is not yet started, but we indeed see the signs of the times. So, as your word tells us, when we begin to see these things happen, look up for our redemption draws nigh. And Lord, help us just be enduring and um, prioritizing in, in this pressure cooker world that we live in, that we would prioritize you as being our Lord and that um, we would model that in our families and the people that watch us. And so, Lord, we thank you for the study tonight, and we pray you go before the rest of our week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.